Let me put the title of my sermon this morning, Introduction to the Introduction. Um, let me explain that. As many of you know, I was gone a couple Sundays there, but in between there, I, I, I attended the National Free Church Conference held in uh, Vista, California. And I was at that event about a day and a half into it, when all of a sudden it just kind of came over me, and I, th- I really believe it was the Holy Spirit said, Ken, you need to change your sermon for this week, this coming week. And I recognized that I, I think it was him that was speaking. And the conference was really a refreshing time for me. It was learning. I'm one of those guys where when I'm stimulated mentally and just and stuff was coming kind of like a fire hose toward me, that actually refreshes me in one sense. I know some people that's not them, but, uh, but it is for me. And when I think back to that conference, it was challenging, but I think I would put other words there as well. Uh, one word was it was disturbing. Um, it was encouraging. It, it was even hopeful for me, I think, would be words that would fit those three days. But it was out of those words that I, I want to give you a piece to this conference, which I believe applies to us as a church. And I think it actually does set a step toward where we're going to go. We're going to be looking at our values, what we value as a church here uh, starting next week. But let me give you a couple pieces to that uh, free church conference. First of all, a new president was elected. And a lot of you are going, free church, what is that president? Who was that? Well, his name is Kevin Compillion, new new president here. He actually grew up in Thief River Falls, Minnesota, uh, University of North Dakota, Grand Forks there. Um, And he comes from within the denomination. And it's a, a bit unique in that he came out of the reach global area of the free church. If you don't know what that is, it's the missionary arm of the evangelical free church. He was the international leader for the Africa division uh, for uh, the last nine years. Uh, Kevin has also had the experience in pastoral ministry and leadership beyond missions. Uh, he was in San Jose, California for 12 years at a large church there. He was in Pleasant Valley, Winona, Minnesota for 11 years as well, from 83 to 94. But I, so I, I don't know if you realize even some of the nuances, though, even of the denomination. One of the distinctives of the free church is that the free church really is not a top-down organization, meaning that the leadership is dictating to the local church kind of how you're supposed to do things in that, in that sense. It very, it's very much of a hands-off process for the leadership of the evangelical free church. But one of the aspects of the free church, and you go, why a denomination? Why do we even have that? Well, one of the purposes of the, of the denomination is to start churches. Matter of fact, I want to put the mission statement of the free church on the screen. And let me go to that first slide, and it's this. We exist to multiply transformational churches among all people. That's their mission statement. And as a free church, they're looking to go globally on that and understand they're looking to plant churches in Europe, in South America, in Asia, in Africa, 
all of those that they're looking to begin churches like ours that would represent and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they also have a mission statement for the local churches that are raised up. And here's what it is from that, that they would espouse to. Our churches aim to be communities of Christ followers who treasure Christ above all else and create life-giving environments that multiply disciples. So as they look at the churches within the denomination, they want every local church to be establishing a community of people who loves and treasures and follows Christ above everything in the world and to have local churches that would be committed to the multiplication of disciples. Now understand within the free church, more and more churches are really wrestling with that last phrase of of the church in terms of multiplying disciples. And I really think it's a good thing to raise up, understand that that is really the heart of what a church is supposed to be about. And, And there's a term... I want to give you that term, one that we've used. <clears throat> Danny, you want to grab me some water? Whenever I don't preach for a couple of weeks, it's always the first week back. So, um, But it's the term that we've used around here, disciples who disciple. Now, we need to be captured by what that means, that, that we want people, us, as a body of Christ, to be committed individually to make disciples, to become trained and equipped to be followers of Jesus in such a way that we are helping another person becoming and getting to know Christ and becoming like Christ. Uh, Kind of the, the picture that I've used a number of times in a statement, what we're doing is we're helping people who are far from God and we're walking with those people and helping them become like Jesus and love Jesus. That's discipleship in a nutshell. We want people to be working with people where they're coming to know Christ and becoming more effective for Christ. I want to put a quote from the new president on the screen. And this is what he said. Disciple-making is not a program. It infiltrates programs. It's not a unique calling for a specific few. It's Jesus' calling for all of us. I, I think that's a critical statement. And understand this conference here was saturated surrounding that idea. Over and over again, they were pointing to the great commission of making disciples. So that's where, in one sense, it was affirming to me, challenging. And at times, I have to be honest with you, I felt really guilty, uh, even in my own life. And And I think that was probably the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you some summary points surrounding discipleship from that conference. And and these points are from various speakers in the conference. Now understand, oftentimes we would spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes on just one of these statements or these points. 
Um, and so today we're going to be flying high a little bit, but if you're taking notes, you can follow along. And the first one, I, I, it's, one of the guys said this, in our churches, it needs to become normal that every Christian is to be a disciple maker. And the challenge is, is that for too many people sitting in churches, they don't view themselves as a disciple maker. Listen closely, too often people point to pastors or teachers or specific leaders within a church and they go, that's their job to make disciples. Matter of fact, Steve here started this week. Last Sunday was the first Sunday. And we welcomed him into the congregation. But do you know what's going to happen with the number of parents as they look at Steve's role coming in? You know, Steve's going to be put in a little bit more than half time toward the youth ministry. But there's going to be some parents that are going to be looking at Steve and going, Steve, you got to disciple my child. you got to be my child's best friend. And they're already starting to subtly go, Steve, it's your responsibility to build into his life spiritually. And here's the challenge. We even talked about it at the conference. That model has to change in youth ministry. Parents must become the primary disciple makers of their children. And matter of fact, a second point here that we dealt with a bit, I'll put it up on the screen and at number two there, and it fits with even as we look at Steve's role. Leaders must shift from being primarily ministers to being primarily equippers. Let me show you the text that states that so emphatically. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Groups of people are raised up, but look at for the purpose, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Till they all attain unity, till they grow up. But understand this, is that really the, the leaders within a church are to be the equippers. You, the congregation, is supposed to be the minister's. And that minister has been hijacked and put on pastors, the role of a pastor, and you go, that's really not biblical in that sense. Ministry just means serving. But the challenge is we need leaders and we need to equip people to do the work of the ministry. We want Steve to be an equipper. Uh, matter of fact, one of the tracks, they had these deeper learning tracks, and, and one that I went into, the speaker was actually a former youth pastor. In fact, he was the lead youth pastor at Willow Creek years and years ago, and, and he was in charge of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students. And, and this is what he said about youth ministry. It's really point number three. This is from him. It's almost a quote. The needed mind shift for student ministries is the need for students to become disciples who disciple before they leave for college. Not just nice Christians. Matter of fact, you look at the decision what took place here this last week. And you look and go, if our students are going to make it in this world, they got to move to a place where they are becoming a discipler, not just a nice Christian kid. 
And parents, you're going to have to be getting, raising up your child to become a disciple maker. Now, let me give you another one. Again, we spent lots of time on these, and I'm not going to, I'm just kind of going sky high here. But number four, people will stop looking to be, the, the quote was, breastfed by the senior pastor, by the preaching pastor. The image is a little bit challenging, but people within churches expect the pastors to be feeding them. In the technical sense, yeah, we do, but there's more of an equipping aspect that needs to go on. And one of the things that was said over and over again is that we've allowed immature people to stay immature in a church. And even, I remember one of the, he was kind of getting excited and he goes, you know, people have come and they go, they come to him complaining because my pastor's not feeding me. And you know what his response is toward those people? It's not his responsibility. You need to learn to feed yourself. See, the challenge is, is that we need to be equipping people to be learning the Word of God, but it's not just on Sunday morning. Matter of fact, the North American church over and over again has demonstrated the fact that good Bible teaching on Sunday morning has little correlation to do with, with where people's maturity is at. It's the rest of the week of what's going on there that really determines where people are at spiritually. You know what, there is an abundance of studies out there on the net. So we must equip people to feed themselves and feed with discernment. One of the speakers, Jeff Vanderstelt, he pointed out that when he works with other churches, he's, in a, he's a pastor, he works with lots of different churches. He actually took over the church, where, church if you know, uh, Mars Hill in Seattle, Mark Driscoll's church. He actually took that. Uh, it's a church that imploded, went from 4,000 at that campus down to 600. And, and Jeff has come in to be the pastor at that church. But, but as he goes around the country and as he speaks to people about discipleship, one of the things that he points out is that lots of people are getting and doing Bible studies in churches. But they're doing Bible studies without intentionally discipling people. Matter of fact, he put a quote. This might disturb some of you. Look at the quote. Bible studies are a way to avoid obeying God. Why? I, I think we, we, I grew up in an era where Bible studies were the framework of disciple making. And, and I would say it this way. It was said this way. People leave plenty of margin in their lives for getting together as Christians and study the Bible, but little margin in their lives for intentionally, relationally investing in another person. And is that true? Let me go to the next one. There's lots of stuff that I, I left out too. Number five, followers of Christ must begin to create margin in their lives for strangers. Now, that word margin, if you don't know that word, it's just leaving time, space, energy. 
That's what margin really means in the context. And the question, do we leave margins for those who don't know Christ? See, people that are unchurched or dechurched, do we leave room in our schedules somewhere for those people? Another speaker, let me put the quote from him on the screen. God has made room for us in his family. Do we have room for strangers in our homes for people who are not our immediate family? God has created room in his family for strangers who need him. As representatives of God, do we have margin in our lives to invite people into our lives who need to be connected to Jesus, to take them and help them walk to meet Jesus? Matter of fact, he framed this in the context of hospitality. And again, we've so misused that word. The biblical understanding of hospitality is the love of strangers. When we get together with Christians, that's fellowship. That's not biblical hospitality. But do we only spend time with Christians in fellowship and never spend time with those who need to be in God's family? And I'll be honest with you, this is deeply convicting for me. I get so busy, I can... Even the people in my apartment building, I look and go, I need to be building bridges to their world. But it's easy as Christians to huddle up and fail to build bridges to the people who don't know Christ. Let me keep going, though. One of the main sessions talking about discipleship, they use Luke chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, it might be worth underlining some pieces in this. But just to point out a couple of things, that, that Jesus in this text creates some crisis points for people who wanted to follow Jesus. And, and let me just read this passage here. I'm going to just walk through it a little bit here. Look at Luke 9, verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. And the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now let me show you a quote. Um, I'm not sure if I got it exactly right on this one. I couldn't read my writing on my notes here sometimes. So uh, here's what he said. Disciple making is not one of the things that we just believe It's what we do. It's everything we do. See, this verse 57. Here was a man who came to Jesus who verbally makes a commitment to him. I'm signing up with you, Jesus. I'm on board with you. I want to be on your team. But you notice that what Jesus did, he created a bit of a crisis in this man's life. He told him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay your head. What's he implying there? Well, let me give you the application number six of this. We want to follow Jesus for the benefits of, And Jesus tells us in following him, there are no guarantees. 
do you catch how hard that statement was? You may not have a home if you follow me. There, buddy, there's no guarantees. I'm demanding that you give up everything, including your home, your family, to follow me. We really don't like when Jesus makes these statements, do we? You know what we do usually? We try to soften it a bit. Jesus didn't really mean that, did he? Let me give you a quote from the speaker. The speaker on this one was Crawford Loritz. We want to add Jesus to what we are doing, but we are called to follow him where he is going. See, this is the picture. We decide where life should go, and then we invite Jesus to walk that path with us, kind of arm in arm. And Jesus is saying, no. He's saying, what you're going to have to do, Ken, is you've got to walk behind me. And where I go, you go. It's not with me in the sense where I get to decide what my goals in life will be. He's saying, you gotta, buddy, you've got to give this up. You've you got to follow me. Let me keep going in the text, verse 59. To another he said, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Again, another verse that we just don't really like. Now, I understand there's kind of a colloquialism here. There's a cloaking of something. Now, But first recognize in this is that it's more than likely that this guy's father hadn't died yet. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been there. Okay? So it's likely here, and if you look at the commentaries, I checked this out, it's true. This man was more likely, it was the last year or two, his dad was getting really old and kind of at the end of his life. So the essence here is that he was putting off following Jesus until it was more convenient, until all of the details of life had been worked out. And for us, it's, okay, I'll follow you when I'm successful or when I get enough money or when I hit retirement. Look at verse 61. Keep going. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See that last phrase? I don't know if you realize when they were plowing, it would be oxen and a single plow, but what they would do is they would line up, there'd be a tree out there, and then they would keep their eyes on the tree or that marker down the road because if they looked back, what would happen? Well, the oxen would just start, and, and the furrow would just go all over the place. That's really the point that Jesus is saying, is that when you look back, when you get distracted by looking back, and those things become important, guess what happens? You don't follow me. See, so taking care of his father, going to tell his father goodbye, for us, see, it's kind of a challenging issue here. 
And, and it's pretty hard for us. Let me, number seven, let me, here's how it was stated. Following Jesus will create a crisis of who and where we give our supreme love. Our supreme love. Let me give the kind of the issue below the surface here. This is a giving to that which is good to giving to that which is of supreme best. Our families are good, but Jesus is, is best. Now, I'm not talking, the giving here, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about time, energy, emotional effort. Good versus the best. See, we talked about these crisis moments in following Jesus and Crawford Loritz, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's an ex-campus crusade guy. He's a pastor in Atlanta area. He's great friends with Dennis Rainey. He's spoken at family life conferences and marriage and family stuff. And he pointed something out over the last, he said, 15 years or so. I think it's a little bit longer. But he said 15 years, 15 years or so that the family has become one of the biggest idols of, of Christians today. And he pointed out, he said this, I had to go to my son and tell him, I'm not going to be at every one of your ball games or every one of your events because I have to follow Jesus first. He said that to his son. Now his son became a pastor. Folks, there's, there, and there was more than him talking about the family getting in the way of discipleship and being an idol. And I don't think the church recognizes the depth and the subtleness of idolatry within the family. But he kind of pinned it and he dug to an important question. And I want to put that on the screen. Crawford Loretz said this, ultimately it's this, does Jesus have my heart? Does Jesus have our hearts? Not just half a heart. Does he have our full hearts? And you go, well, what does that mean? Jeff Vanderstelt in one gave an illustration of what some of what's happening in his church and some of the families within his his in the area and he kind of comes out of the Tacoma area and, and literally there's people in his church that are selling their homes moving to a new location not because of work but because they know that they need to minister in a different way in terms of making disciples they've given up their dream homes their their houses their castle and they're going, we got to follow Jesus, and the, we need to give the kingdom of God to people. And if our house is in the way, we're going to sell it. Let me give you another one from Crawford Loretz. This is a quote. You are too valuable to God to flush your life down the toilet. What did he mean by that? It was this. He would say, casually following Jesus is like flushing your life away down the drain. But we are valuable to God. 
And I don't know if we ever stop and ponder enough that God actually wants to use us. He values us so much that he wants to use us to share himself with the world. We're valuable to God. And we're valuable by helping somebody who is far from God to help them come and know Jesus and love Jesus. Do we believe that we're valuable like that? Here again, one of the speakers pointed out, it wasn't Crawford, it was somebody else. He said this in this issue of discipleship. Do we have faces and names of people that we are helping who are far from God and begin coming, bringing them closer to God? Do we have a name and a face to it? And as I listen to that, I go... Holy Spirit was going, Ken, Ed. Put that name in my mind. He needs to be one where I need to be more intentional of helping him come to at least be confronted with Jesus. So so here's the challenge I think I would ask you to, would would you pray? And, And ask the Holy Spirit to give those people in your mind. Who are those people that are coming to your mind where you need to be more intentional of helping having them meet Jesus? Now, some of you are going, yeah, but I'm not there yet. I don't know if I'm far enough along in my faith. I can't do that. We keep thinking of the reasons why we shouldn't. And folks, here's the reality. When we get involved with intentional disciple-making, helping others move toward Jesus, do you realize that actually it grows us much faster? It moves us. We have to trust God. We don't know the answers. We have to pray for discernment. We have to do all of those things. And it forces us to grow up even faster than we normally would. So pray for people. And it forces us to trust God and walk by faith. But let me give you one last quote to kind of wrap it up here. Uh, This is from Jeff Vanderstelt, and it fits really with where we're going here, I think, next week. And he said this, Disciples don't go to church. We are the church. I mean, he went on for a lengthy period of time going, we have so used words wrong. He said, words matter. And if you get up and you go to church, he goes, that is an unbiblical statement. Because we are the church. We are the church. And the church is about gathering together to worship. Yeah, we gather at a spot, but we don't go to church because we are the church. And the church is about making disciples, helping people move to meet Jesus in some way. So here's the challenge even for the week. Nancy, if you want to cue that up, I think we'll play that. We have Fourth of July coming up. And I think as we walk through this week, maybe just say it like this. We need to be the church and make disciples, help people, meet people. Look at the fourth and those opportunities to help somebody who is a little farther away from Christ 
to help them move toward Christ. There's a song I came across. We actually sung it at one of the churches last weekend. And I think as we play this, just kind of recognize, look at the words and go, is this me? Use it kind of as a reflection time and see if this is us in terms of surrendering to Christ. Go ahead, Nancy. Let's pray. Father, Father,